0: continue through our series, The Adventure to the Cross, and we've moved into John chapter 17. And I know Karen just asked you all to very kindly sit down, but would you please stand as we read God's Word? It's not that long, so don't worry. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given to me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I may, myself may be in them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Growing up in the house I grew up in, there was a family picture that hung on the wall, and I used to stare at it all the time. Yeah. This is from a family reunion that happened when I was a small baby. You will find me in the lower portion being held by my sister there, kind of middle left. This is a small baby. This is a family reunion from my mom's side of the family, my dad on the left, my mom, one of my aunts, the lady with her face kind of turned as my grandma and aunts and uncles across the top row, cousins, across the middle. What's interesting now about this picture as I was reflecting on it in preparation for this message was that all of the aunts and uncles minus two in that top row have passed. But this is still my family, right? This is where I came from. This is how I'm here. These are the people who've loved and supported me even when I was a small baby. And I like to reflect on that from time to time of just the spiritual family that got me here today. In Scripture, and what we've read today in this passage, I think we get a little bit reminder of that, that there has been a family that has got us here to this point, a spiritual family that has got us from when Jesus was praying there for the disciples all the way up until today. And often when we go to Scripture, we read things that can touch our hearts and minds, that feels like God is speaking to us, but I think we can acknowledge that what's written there wasn't written specifically for us, but we do get benefit from it. However, in today's Scripture, Jesus is praying specifically for us. Jesus is praying for all those who will come after the disciples, all those who will hear the message of the disciples, and he's praying that we will be one. Jesus is referencing all future believers and followers of him, knowing that the message will spread far and wide beyond the 12 and others who may be in the room with him, which gets us all the way here to today. Can you think back and think of the people who are in your spiritual family? Who has got you here? Who shared the message with you? Do you know who shared the message with them? Our spiritual family is huge, and hopefully we're able to trace our line back. Why we may not be able to connect all the dots back to Jesus. We know that it begins there. It begins in this passage with this prayer that Jesus is praying for all of those who will come after. And as we read and think about this passage, kind of the title of the message you might see in there is, how do we get to be an answer to Jesus' prayer? How do we get to be an answer to what Jesus asked for in this passage? I think the answer to that is, in this foundational truth, I'd like you to walk away with which says this our unity as a church should mirror that of Jesus with the Father united in purpose distinct in personhood and sharing the glory of God theological nerds in there might find a little bit of a reference to the trinity but i won't dig that deep again our unity as a church should mirror that of Jesus with the Father united in purpose distinct in personhood and sharing in the glory of God. So we need to be united in purpose. When I went to college, I was a part of some good teams and a part of some bad teams. Mainly these involved working on large team projects in in classes. There was one team in a communications class where basically, oddly enough, in a communications class, communication kind of broke down. We were trying to work on things, but some people weren't responding. Basically, somebody like, disappeared for weeks on end, and we didn't know what was going on. And another guy kept turning in work to the project that just didn't quite meet the standards we were setting. It was a bad team. There was a really good team, though, and it basically started this way. The teacher assigned us into this random team. All of us in our team sat in a circle for the first time. We all looked around at each other. Finally, one person said, okay, this can go one of two ways, good or bad, and this is going to go good. We all agreed, shook hands on it, and that was one of the best teams I was ever a part of. We stayed in communication, we produced good work, and it ended up being a great project by the end of it. Because we had that good communication, because we were united around a common goal to get this project done and to do good work. Last time when I preached, I shared about Satan and how he seeks to cause relational division. He doesn't want communication to happen. He wants it to break down. He doesn't want there to be unity of a purpose. And here we have Jesus, if we shouldn't be too surprised, praying the exact opposite. That the disciples and those who would come after would have unified motives, would be unified in purpose, would be united by what they believe and who they believe in, and that who they believe in is the most important thing. We don't want to be united just for the sake of being together. We don't want to be united just for the sake of a common goal that we all think we want to achieve. Jesus prays that we would be united as Jesus is united with the Father, our unity depends first and foremost on each and every one of our connections to Jesus Christ. If we are not connected to Jesus, this whole thing is going to fall apart. If that is not each of our individual foundational things that we jump off from, there is no way that we are going to be united together. Jesus wants us to be united, each and every one of us, as he and the Father are united. This I and them and they and me, words that he shares today echoes the vine and the branches that we talked about a few weeks ago, that we have to be united to the vine of Jesus. We must remain in him, connected to him, devoted to him, as Jesus is connected and devoted to the Father. If we're all working to do that together, we can remain united and be an answer to the prayer that Jesus is offering here. How do we do that? How do we stay united to Jesus, each and every one of us? First and foremost, we need to place our faith in Jesus as the perfect mediator between humanity and God. Jesus Christ, who now sits at the right hand on the Father, interceding on our behalf, praying for us even to this day. Secondly, we need to do some things. And in the book of Acts, I think we get a great example of what that looks like. Acts chapter 2, after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit comes, after Peter preaches one of the first sermons in the church, and thousands come to Jesus. It gives us a description of what that first church looked like. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship To the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Four simple things there, well, maybe they're not that simple, but four things that we can do as a church to remain united to Jesus. It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. It's not plural, they were not devoted to the teachings of the apostles as if there's multiple things out there. One teaching one gospel, one thing that they all believed in. They devoted themselves to the gospel of Jesus Christ as was passed down to them and is passed down to us. Secondly, fellowship. They shared things. They participated in things. They joined together. They associated with each other. Being here, being in relationship, caring for one another, lifting one another up, bearing one another's burdens, Fellowship, yes, it's a party. We can have fun like we had at the Mexico missions trip fundraiser. But also in that, we get to support our friends who are going to Mexico. We get to help send them. That's what fellowship should look like. Breaking of bread, sharing meals like we did at the auction, but also celebrating the Lord's Supper around a table where we all are invited to Christ's table And earlier in Luke, that was one of the ways that Jesus was recognized. After he's resurrected and he's with the followers on the road to Emmaus, they didn't recognize who he was until he was invited into their home, and it says, and he broke the bread. It's in that breaking of bread, in that fellowship, in joining together around the Lord's Supper that we recognize who Jesus is. We recognize what he's calling each and every one of us to do. And the last thing mentioned there, probably one of the more important ones, is prayer. Interacting and conversing with God. Lifting our concerns up to God. Interceding for fellow believers, friends, neighbors, our enemies. As Jesus has given us example of in these last few chapters of John as he's making his way to the cross. As advertisement, if you'd like some prayer today, we will have opportunity in the prayer room after service, so you can apply what, what Jesus is calling us to do. Now, Jesus doesn't just want us to be a happy club. He doesn't want us just to gather around together, do these things, make us all feel better, but he wants our unity to have a purpose. And he says in this passage that our purpose should be so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Everything we do as a church, as we remain connected to Jesus as we remain connected to each other, should communicate to the world who Jesus is and lead others to believe who he is and hopefully to place their faith in him. Our connection with Jesus and each other unites us for a common purpose, yes, but it has another added benefit. Jesus says we get to participate in his glory. I'm sure you all came to church today ready for an art history lesson. One of the things stashed in my utility belt after having worked at a museum for a few years. Let's talk about the art movement Impressionism. Impressionism was a 19th century art movement characterized by relatively small, thin, yet visible brushstrokes, emphasis on accurate depiction of light and its changing qualities. Now, if you haven't heard of Impressionism, you've probably heard of one of its most famous painters, Mr. Claude Monet. I have a picture of him. Him on the left, a painting of him done by one of his impressionist friends, Renoir. I'm sure we all have seen some of Monet's pictures, and I wanted to look at one of his paintings today. Put that up for me, Jeff. This is Monet's family in the garden, painted around 1875. As I described the Impressionist movement, you can see the small, distinct brushstrokes. If we're familiar with Monet, we know about that. That if you get up close to it, it just looks like smudges on a canvas. But you step back, and you're like, oh, I see what this is all doing. And I love this picture, too, because of the depictions of light. You see the light beams that have kind of poked down from the trees above, landing on the grass. You see the light that's peeking through the trees that are behind the family. When those little dots are perceived as much as a part of the larger whole, you can see that how everything is put together for a much larger purpose, more glorious purpose. And I think when we talk about unity, when we read about unity in this, and Jesus says, I want you to be in me as I am in the Father, that we would all be united, sometimes our minds can go to the idea of uniformity, that we all have to look the same, be the same, act the same in order for this unity to happen. But that's not what Jesus wants us to do. Jesus doesn't come to crush our uniqueness and mold us into some boring gray blob of a church. Jesus wants to reveal his glory in us, the glory of the Father, God the Father, the creator of diversity, of all the plants, animals, people, planets, and all of the stars in the universe. If God is about creating uniformity and everything look the same, he's done a very bad job of it. but it seems that God's glory shines through in our uniqueness in a different way. You can keep that picture up there for me, Jeff. I'm going to keep rolling with that. Much like the Monet painting and the light and the, the, light and the image comes through when all of the different strokes and elements of the painting under the guidance and planning and care of a master painter are in their place, working together to create this beautiful image. Or like our bodies, our bodies are also used as an illustration in Scripture, Ephesians chapter 4. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now these parts and these strokes don't work independently doing whatever they want, but they find themselves and find their value and their place and their glory as part of a much larger whole. Through Christ, as we are in him, united with him, abiding in him, and receiving our life from him, we find our part in this beautiful picture. We are the brushstrokes in the Monet painting. And in that, we get to reveal God's glory, the glory of a much greater picture that we might only see a glimpse of, but we know when we are united with Christ, united with the church that we get to participate in that glory through the gospel our lives are turned away from the world from sin and selfish endeavors and we are invited to the much larger story of god and the church we are invited to be participants in that story to be painted into the grand mural of the church and to be adopted into the church's family reunion photo When our connection to Jesus draws us closer together into the grand story of redemption, there is a great, beautiful, and glorious outcome. And even as we are united into this for this purpose, to bring glory to God, to participate in the glory of Christ, this isn't just for our benefit, but it's ultimately to share something with the world. Right now, the girls have been learning new math concepts. Aurora has been tackling fractions, which has come through a fair amount of tears and gnashing of teeth. Hannah has been learning to add and subtract much larger numbers, going into tens and hundreds. Now, math is often a subject that we don't just get. We don't just figure it out, unless you're some kind of math prodigy or math whiz or something like that which i am not Um, i am also learning a few things helping them with their math as they work through this common core system and all of the ways that they want them to figure out math subjects i'm learning a few things myself but they're not just going to figure it out they need some guidance they need some examples they need some homework and problems to work through in order for them to understand it We need someone to show us. And Jesus, in this passage, acknowledges that the world does not know you, does not know God the Father, does not know his ways, and they won't just figure it out, figure out the way of salvation, how to follow Jesus as the Christ and Lord and Savior of the world. We need to be deeply connected to Jesus as Jesus was connected to the Father, united by the Holy Spirit, connected to each other so that the world might catch a glimpse of who Jesus is and what it is to be a follower of him. And for those who look at it, it may seem odd that being a Jesus follower doesn't quite fit with the way the world works, because if it worked the way the world does, they would be able to figure it out. But it doesn't work that way. One of the earliest followers of Jesus wrote this letter called the Epistle of Diognetus in the 2nd or 3rd century. And I wanted to share with you some of the words that were written in this letter. It was a letter that was used to describe what the Christian movement looked like, what they did, what what set them apart from the world. In the 5th chapter... It says this They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry, as do all others. They beget children, but do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned, and they are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They are dishonored, and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They are evil spoken of, and yet are justified. They are reviled and blessed. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred, All these bad things are happening to Christians, yet the opposite, they have the opposite reaction. They keep being persecuted. They keep being put down. They keep being dishonored. It says they're poor, but they make others rich. It baffles the world. They don't know what to do with it. And they're angry at it because they don't understand it, they don't get it, but our hope is is that as we live out this example of Jesus, as we are connected to Jesus, connected to each other, that they'll see the strokes start to make sense, that they'll catch a glimpse of God's glory and what we do here and the lives that we lead, and even though it might not make sense to them, they might start to catch that there is a better way. This Jesus is giving us a better example. This Jesus is asking us to step into a new life. The hatred and insults come as a result of the challenge we offer to the way of the world. When we are connected and abiding in Jesus, united in his purpose as he was with the Father, sharing out of our distinct passions, participating in the glory of Jesus, we don't have to worry about what the world thinks. Because we all, all we need to know is that Jesus is in us, continually making himself known to us and through us. And when people put us down because of their hatred and realize that there's no reason, we realize that there's no reason to be worried. Hopefully they will come to see that through our unity and connection, the love that Jesus has for his followers, the love that God has for his children, And be drawn into that through our examples. We believe that Jesus is continually praying for us even now, like I said, seated at the right hand of the Father, constantly interceding and mediating for all of us. And today we get to read his heart for us, for you, sitting here right now, that he wants you to be in him as he is in the Father, and he wants all of us to be connected together as we are united together and because jesus is praying for us we can take comfort one commentator i read said jesus has already prayed for us too which should mean we're going to make it john calvin said the this prayer of christ is a safe harbor and whoever retreats into it is safe from all danger of shipwreck for it is as if Christ had solemnly sworn that he will devote his care and diligence to our salvation. Dan and the worship team is going to come up and lead us in a song after the message. Hopefully today you've seen that you've seen yourself in this passage, in this scripture, that Jesus is calling out to each and every one of us individually to be in him, to be united to the vine, and to share out of our giftings and passions to be part of the much larger and beautiful mural that he is painting each and every one of us into. As a reminder of the foundational message, hopefully you've walked away with this, that our unity as a church should mirror that of Jesus with the Father, united in purpose, distinct in personhood, and sharing in the glory of God,
1: Father God, we just thank you that you are always good, always true, always faithful, always merciful. Thank you for hope and grace, Father God. We thank you that you are always love, that you are light. that you heal us that you everything we need god we thank you that for that god for this we worship you life, I can breathe, I am healed, I'm free, you are strong, you are sure, you are life, you endure, you are good, always true, you are light, breaking through. Oh!